This is Opportunities in Science. With me, Dr. Barry Towler, founder and CEO of science animation company Vivo Motion. In this podcast, inspiring individuals reveal their interesting career pathways after completing a degree in science. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Opportunities in Science with me, Dr. Vary Towler, founder of Vivo Motion. So I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, Dr. Lewis Matan. Um, hi Lewis, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. So Lewis is currently a lecturer in human physiology at the University of Westminster and we met earlier this summer when we were both asked to share our career stories at an event run by AD Instruments down in London. So it was a really nice event where there was three speakers talking about their different careers and it was for PhD students in the sort of local area. So we had a a good time at the event and um, I asked if Lewis would like to take part in the podcast after I'd heard his career story and he said yes. So um, Lewis, just to start us off, can you tell us what degree or degrees you hold and where did you study? Yeah, um, so that's I'm going to say kind of interesting for me because um, I kind of started my journey in terms of higher education at Nottingham Trent University. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did exercise nutrition and health mm-hmm. um, and it kind of started my career journey off because um, I wasn't really focused on going to university at the point of which I, should we say, applied for university. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of really wanted to go down more of a dietics route uh, with my career. At the time, I was I was still heavily competing um, so nationally, internationally um, with my swimming and my driving force was to kind of go somewhere in particular that would allow me to to aspire on, on so we say, both avenues with, with my swimming mm-hmm. and with my, my education. And the, and the benefit of, of going to uh, Nottingham uh, was the advantage of, uh, of the swimming program, particularly at the time that was um, going on in Nottingham there mm-hmm. uh, with a guy called Bill Furness, who, who eventually became the head of British swimming, um, particularly focusing on distance swimming. That was my, my area of expertise. Um, so I kind of started there kind of picking more of, a, of an avenue of what I wanted to focus on in regards to, shall we say, progressing my swimming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where sort of my driving force came from. That's that sports science and nutrition area. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I did my degree at Nottingham Trent University. That led me on, shall we say, academically to to also stay on and do my my masters there. So I did that in sports and exercise nutrition mm-hmm. before going on to to do my PhD at Manchester Metropolitan University. So that's kind of my academic sort of journey across sort of my degree, my masters, my PhD. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of within them academic as well. I've also done a, a PG cert and a PG dip, sort of focused on the educational side of teaching and higher education. Mm-hmm. That aligned me nicely to to me. Um, focusing on my career in, in academia, sort of teaching and, and research-wise. So that's kind of my, my journey in terms of um, purely on the academic side of what I've done with my degrees. Yeah. And so Nottingham must have um, quite a strength then in that area of sports sports science and sort of human physiology, does it? Yeah. So at the time when I uh, went to Nottingham Trent particularly, um, as I said, my, my driving force was more my swimming. So I'd never really looked at any of the, the sort of the the, the the things around universities that we now focused on sort of like uh, teaching excellent framework ref returnable stuff you know and students are forced to kind of think about this type of stuff now when mm-hmm. when going to institution and it wasn't really the reason why I looked at that but 
saying that as, as a process of working through there, mm-hmm. um, Nottingham Trent um, essentially for sports science was was incredibly good. I mean, um, the, some of the uh, expertise that have come out of there and, and colleagues I work with, one who were lecturers there and people who were on the courses that I worked on since then, um, I've stayed very close collaborating with a number of different people um, who essentially have come out of my course, exercise, nutrition, health and the sports science degree courses that they've put on. So in the last few years, it's actually been quite nice to see essentially the place that I did my degree and particularly the course that I, I did. Um, sort of strive to, to a much higher aspirations than maybe they were in league table wise when, when certainly I was there. But I think it showed the kind of quality of the teaching and the lecturers who were there. And and that sort of sort of really helped me to aspire on to what I wanted to do. So to particularly, um, and with my undergrad and my master's, I worked very closely with Professor Craig Sale. Mm-hmm. And I think that just sort of sums up some of the, the expertise that were there at the time when I was doing my degree and, and sort of the journey some of them have gone on and then leading on to, to allowing us to, to essentially model ourselves on people who were very good not just at their teaching side of things, but also their research. And it sort of gives you a good career route into to how you could balance both of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, it only makes sense to me in that way because I went on to be an academic. Um, so having lecturers at an institution who, who are able to balance both teaching and research gave me the opportunity to, to see them as essentially role models and, and use their career path as potentially a career path for myself. Yeah, so you had great, great role models to aspire to. So that's great. So since um, completing your science qualifications, what jobs have you had since you finished your PhD? But sort of my journey sort of more in the work side of things came sort of before my PhD. Okay. So, so when I finished my master's, I was working in a uh, in, in the lab at Nottingham Trent. So, so when I kind of went through the process of, of moving from a degree into my master's, I did look around at, at where to go. I, I kind of took the, the chance to think, do I want to stay here at Nottingham Trent? Mm-hmm. Should I look elsewhere? And, and I kind of always urge people to think about the benefits of leaving an institution and also the benefits of staying at an institution. I think that's an important point yeah. for students to think about. The benefit of staying is sort of the, the, the reason why I did end up staying at Nottingham Trent was the fact that familiar of the place, the equipment, the staff, you know, these type of things are things you don't have to go and relearn once you move from, say, an undergrad in July to starting a master's in September. I didn't have to relocate. Again, that was a big part of it. Um, But then you then have the benefit of potentially going to a new institution, again, bringing in um, extending that network of people you can work with. That's not just staff, but that's students who you might link with and build with during that master's program and potentially going to something that maybe more aligns to what you're interested in. I was just lucky that when I was moving from my undergrad to my master's, uh, the uh, the MRES, uh, what's a master's in research, were at Nottingham Trent um, essentially aligned to the direction I'm going. I already had the idea that I wanted to stay working in research, potentially moving on to work in ac- academia. So I saw that as my avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, but that led nine Nicely on to the fact that at the end of my master's, um, a, a technician position came up in the lab that I was working in. So I was researching um, on top of working on a on a grant application that I was successful with with uh, the European Hydration Institution, uh, and essentially I couldn't collect that data uh, without a technician in the lab so essentially the technician left i applied for the position and, and got that on i kind of called it i don't really know the contract name but sort of an ab lib basis i think it was three days a week to cover uh, so we say the gap in the lab um which then allowed me once we, we had the technician position in uh, to be able to kind of continue working as the technician and essentially the days the two days off i kind of used to to use the lab to collect my my research i actually stayed in that position for two and a half years uh, at Nottingham Trent. Um, so I kind of went on that career journey down the technician route. Um, and again, the only reason I kind of 
left that position was because uh, my career aspirations, really. Um, I always think the jokey thing is, and I do think it's kind of true, I was kind of told, you know, in order to progress as a technician, you either need someone to retire or die. And and I kind of wasn't wasn't willing to wait for that to happen. No. So so I, I, I sort of re sat down mm-hmm. uh, I like to say the word reflected and what I had where I wanted to go what was the position that was in going to give me what I wanted and I, I personally should we say not the institution but I personally decided that, that that wasn't the route for me to stay as a technician so I started going on my PhD application journey okay. um, it was interesting should we say yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's good um, like you've highlighted a lot of points there that are important I think you know the ones about the benefits of staying and the benefits of, of going, which is which are both, you know, really important things to think about in terms of progressing your career. And also there was something else that you mentioned there, you know, I hadn't realised that you had had a position as a technician in between your master's and your PhD. So I think again it's you don't have to go straight from one to the other. You can do something else in between and then that leads on to, you know, another decision. And and like you say, sometimes you just have to sit down and do some soul searching to see what it is that you want to to do to progress your career. I always wanted to kind of stay in academia, but I think again it's that point is sometimes you have to take the opportunities when they when they come up. Yeah. And the position at the time to take on the technician position, it wasn't essentially an education anymore. I was essentially going to be employed as a worker. I was going to get a wage. And 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 for that two and a half years, it was actually really nice to essentially forget a little bit about handing in assignments and actually yeah. um, getting a bit of money in my pocket um, after spending probably four years, certainly of higher education. But I kind of classed my sort of un- before that, so the two, three years in in sort of like doing my A-levels plus my three years of my degree and my one year of my master's, I kind of felt like potentially I needed that sort of couple of years out um in breaking between my phd because mm-hmm. yeah moving from that then into my phd journey and i feel like that that would have been compounded and, and that break in between really sort of again like you said really allowed me to focus on that i really wanted this i really wanted to, to carry on progressing and and, and so I, I went for it yeah yeah okay what have been your main career achievements and highlights would you say that's a really good question um I suppose maybe making it to to the pinnacle for me is is getting my my first lectureship. I'd say that that was that's an achievement in itself. Um, I think, um, like you said, as you work through the educational system, inevitably you do a degree. People finish their degree, they move on. I then went on to do a master's. Again, a few more people leave, and I kind of carried on. And then, then I went on to a PhD, and then, and then there's less of less of people around you who who kind of came through that career journey. And I felt like really the only direction post my PhD really was was to stay working at a university. So, so essentially in an academic role, that's that's either research, teaching, or both lectureship in terms of research and teaching. And I think over the last few years, I realized that there is more out there, certainly for people coming to the end of a PhD. I think industry positions, maybe the well-being side of it, maybe maybe is better. Certainly the pay is better. Uh, but then essentially the benefit of working as a lecturer is, 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 is that freedom side of it where we're, we really are self-employed in one way. We might be waged by the university, but our time is there to, to manage. And as long as our workloads are done, we're allowed to, to kind of work in, in, in the concept of your title and your name. So I'm engaging in physiology things, if that's outreach to working with, with journals or, or potentially societies, they essentially see that as potentially as, as part of your, your workload. But I think that is really, I say, one of my, my main achievements certainly was, was getting my first my first lectureship. Yeah. I think my my other, shall we say, highlights and achievement was probably as an undergrad um, working 
for my BSc project and, and getting that published was, was something that allowed me to, to sort of see the other side of, of academia. So, so essentially, you're not just doing this work as an assignment, but essentially getting the reward of, of getting a publication, your name on it. You know, I can go online now and I can still see it. Other people can see it. And, and I think that is a highlight. Um, and again, that kind of comes from the, the driving force from my my undergrad mentor, Dr. Lewis James. And mm-hmm. I think, again, I've, I've kind of built off a lot of the stuff that he's continued to, to work with me. Uh, as I said, through my undergrad, my master's, my PhD. And again, I think sometimes it is good to have these royal models who, who've got strong ambitions themselves and they allow to, to sort of ooze out that, that passion onto the students around them. And, and, and potentially, you know, that is probably another reason why I've made it in academia the way I had, because I've had people who essentially are following on in a career journey above me yeah. and they give you essentially an opening in the road to, to kind, of, kind of work your way through and understand potentially some of the pitfalls and, and some of the advantages of, of doing things in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, def- it's definitely a, an achievement to get your undergraduate work published that's um that's a big one because it's not often that that happens and and with you know getting your lectureship could you talk us through the process involved in that a little bit just not not in too much detail but how difficult was it to get that position I think you think you've got what you what you need shall we say mm-hmm. on paper mm-hmm. and and as you start to go for some positions the, or I say the two main things that come up are you realise there's always extra things you probably need to do to to essentially uh, get a lectureship that you probably didn't think of. The other side is, yeah, it's incredibly hard um, as well, is what have you got over essentially an internal candidate? And I think that's one of the ones that, that come to me on a numerous time after time after time again. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you go for the interview, uh, you're told you, you narrowly missed out for, for this and this reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, you scroll online and you look around and, and then you realize that, that, that potentially they, they've taken on an internal. And, okay. and, and I think you going into interviews, that. you've always got to remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Just so just to be aware that there's probably an internal candidate as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's like that ability not to, to get too downheartened. Um, I mean, even off the top of my head, let's say I, I even last summer, I went for probably seven lectureship interviews mm-hmm. um, and, and I got the eighth one in a sense. And. And I never got negative feedback from them. And again, you know, there's areas where I kind of think where if you don't get the position, I think maybe interview panel should be more negative. I think they should directly tell you, you didn't have this, you didn't have that, you should have done this. Mm. And I think sometimes they're too polite. Yeah. In the day, you know, you're applying for a lecture for a career path and you want to feed your family and you want to progress. And there's an element of if you haven't got what you need, then they should tell you a bit more honestly. Yeah. And I think sometimes that they, they mingle around the subject, not wanting to hurt people's feelings. Yeah. And I think if they're a bit more direct, people could make a change quicker. Okay, that's good. Good to know. Um, okay. Have there been any difficult moments in your career, and if so, how have you overcome them? I think I think I'd say I had probably a number of difficult ones. Uh, I think my transition from leaving being a technician to going on to my PhD was a difficult transition. Mm-hmm. I think I was frustrated in my role, um, not the technician roles itself. I think it was my my motivation, my drive to want more. Mm-hmm. And when I went through that application process, it took a lot longer than I would have wanted it to be. And I think that was frustrating. And I think that came again post PhD once again. I think from from aligning myself with, with, with all my stuff I'd done prior to my PhD, I felt I was one step ahead of the, shall we say, the career journey of, of knowing potentially what I would need leading into or certainly the end of my PhD with doing a lot of 
additional things. So, so publishing a number of papers, four or five papers, mm-hmm. having grants on my CV, um, doing my PG certs, that teaching side of things, teaching um, as part of my job, having my PhD, all these things that essentially when you, when you look at a lectureship um, in terms of what they ask and certainly things that are desirable and essential, when you tick everything on the list, um, I was always told that essentially if you, if you tick 50% of what you're on the job application, you should go for it. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you tick 70%, you're probably the right candidate. And if, if you tick 100%, uh, you're probably not the right candidate because you're actually um, probably too good for the position. Mm-hmm. But I kind of put myself in that box to say, well, actually, if I can tick everything, then I need, I'm leaving myself in a, in a stronger position. And again, I felt it took a long time to convince a, an interview panel that I had what it what it took to, to do the position that I'm, I'm now in. Mm-hmm. And again, I think they're my two most frustrating things, certainly with, in terms of my academic side mm. um, leading into my career. Okay. I noticed as well on your on your LinkedIn profile that you do a lot of work around dyslexia. Would you like to say something about that? Yeah, I, I suppose my uh, that side of thing I've always kept kind of like um, I want to say a secret. <laughs> just not something I usually talk about um, because um, it's something that that I deal with, and then I don't really tend to. Uh, talk about it unless someone asks me basically and, and surprisingly enough not really many people um, ask you um, questions when, when they tend to think it's sensitive but um, I, I mean it's always been a barrier for me mm-hmm. it's always caused um, problems all the way through my journey I think I think for me most of my problems with my dyslexia happened should we say before higher education so um, at school so primary school high school certainly sixth form were, were where they they kind of um, should we say put barriers in the way leading along I mean I don't think I met anyone in the education system before I went to university who whoever thought I could do anything at all yeah. that was in academia at all I mean my primary school essentially wanted me to almost leave because they said I was just a naughty child mm-hmm. um, they, they never put anything in place to support me and, and it wasn't until I went to university until until there was anything available where someone said look you, you've got this condition uh, and we can actually give you things that can help you know you succeed in, in academia yeah. and it wasn't till then really until so I actually was able to, shall we say, anyone really particularly support me leading through. Mm-hmm. I mean, through my journey, I had a number of different people. So particularly at high school, I had a, a Senko um, who, who, shall we say, believed in me and, and essentially put herself on the line on a number of occasions to help me through the system. Mm-hmm. But, but at school level, you don't really know what goes on there. I mean, that was more to do with the Senko and my mum and dad, you know, essentially behind the scenes trying to yeah. force the school to allow me to do, to do things when they said that, that I wouldn't be able to do it based on my ability or I wasn't good enough to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't really understand that. And again, as I said, it's not until you move on until you're on your own when you go to university where you deal with these things on your own to you realize actually you know you did have support there but essentially you know when you're always fighting the system what was the school system essentially you're always going to fail um and i think for me that's a big driving force for me mm-hmm. certainly in my career now is um essentially trying to actually uh, get back to sort of that that school certainly um primary and secondary education to, to show that actually sometimes actually if you do fight the system and you're willing to put yourself out there and say no I'm not going to listen to you and I'm going to I'm going to keep trying I'm going to keep working you can succeed yeah. because at the end of the day I'm here I've made it through the system where a number if I'd have listened to them people saying that give up don't do this you shouldn't do that don't go on and do A levels because you're not good enough to do that yeah. you know don't go to university you're not good enough to do that um, yeah. I made it there and. Maybe that's come from hard work, motivation. Maybe it's my determination from, from my years swimming and the training that I went through to do it, the, the resilience. Um, who knows? But um, I certainly if I'd have listened to the school system and the higher education link between that, you know, maybe I wouldn't be here. Yeah. 
I mean, I just I think it's important to talk about it. That's the only reason that I raised it because I saw I didn't think it was a secret because it was on your LinkedIn profile. No, it's not a secret. I just don't tend to talk about it. <laughs> but I do think it, no one asks. Like, that's the other thing. <laughs> oh yeah, um, maybe I'm just too too nosy. But um, <laughs> I did think um, you know it's actually good to know that there's a good role model like yourself in academia somebody who has you know got that got dyslexia and you've you've made it through like you say so I think that's quite nice um for people who maybe have dyslexia and they're in school mm. they're thinking well I can't go down this yeah street. completely agree so um so yeah so well done for for fighting it and having resilience to get through so back to your current job what skills and qualities would you say are important to be able to do your current job and what is the best part of your current role? What do you enjoy about it? I think for me, some of the things that I've learned on my journey so far in my lectureship is you need to be willing to listen. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually quite a big one. Mm -hmm. I think um, every student comes in with a different story and I don't think you can box people in in certain situations. And I think there's always an, an opportunity to listen. I think also the other side of it is is sometimes not to trust them as much as you, you think you do, because essentially it leads to larger workloads sometimes when you're thinking about the process. Um, whenever a deadline approaches, students will find every situation to try and find an increase on that that deadline approach. And, and I think it's about, again, stepping back from the situation, analyzing what's there, you know, what's happened, maybe what's going on in that situation um, before you rush into to, to making a decision on, on, on how you deal with that situation. Mm-hmm. I, I think for me, they're, they're two really important things. Um, and I think I should, I would like to have learned that earlier on um, mm-hmm. within it. I think, what do I enjoy most about my job? I, I think for me, it's the, it's the variety in my job. Some people say in, in my industry, you know, um, we all wear different hats mm-hmm. and we have to wear eight different hats. Uh, you know, we're, we're HR, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're social services, we're, you know, we're an academic, we're a researcher, we're a publisher. Uh, and I do think that is that is that is definitely a benefit to my job role and it can also be seen as a negative as well. I think it's, it's hard to balance them hats. Certainly when you're new, I think in the first sort of 24 months so two years of the lectureship I think people need to realize the workload is going to be high the things that are going to throw at you are going to challenge you and as you start to balance them out the the job can become enjoyable again you can start to get that that research that teaching back on that outreach stuff that that you sort of inevitably as you came for the interview process promised that that's what you were going to do and they essentially took you on to do but it takes time to settle you need to understand the university systems because it doesn't matter how much experience you've got when you move from one institution to another, it takes time to, to, to learn them new systems. And I think everyone needs to realize that moving into a lectureship, it's going to be hard. It's going to take time. Um, but once you can balance that out again, learn the system at the university that you're at, um, it starts to level out and you can you can bring that enjoyment back into it. What, what necessarily you all went in to do, everyone goes into it with an element of an interest in a certain area. And, and once you can balance things again, I think you can bring back that, that passion to the job that you do. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Thank you. What has helped you along the way in making your career decisions? Have you ever had like a mentor or do you just speak to family? How do you come to these decisions? I've never had um, officially, should we say, a mentor. But again, I think I said like all the way back to my undergrad level, I had a number of 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 lecturers and, and people in the lecturing team around that sports nutrition area that were incredibly good at essentially given us the, the, the tools we needed to progress on and being open about what you could do and, and the benefits of doing different things. Uh, I think that's that's helped me a lot. Um, I think, again, my, a lot of mine 
potentially does come from internal drive to, to push on. I think part of me is I do like to to reflect on what I've done, what I could do, how I could be better at it. And I do think that's a big motivation for me. I'm kind of stuck in academia because I'm almost unwilling to leave it. I, I kind of enjoy the, the continuous learning approach of it. And again, I, th- I think that is a driving force is, is if I left uh, academia or being a lecturer now to go and work somewhere else, would I have the job satisfaction? Would I, would I be challenged? Would I be continuously learning something? And that's what's always been my apprehension about leaving it. Um, I know I'm somebody who likes to, to continuously learn, continuously develop. And I feel potentially without that, I would always be sort of like um, essentially stunting myself. I'd always be, um, I don't know, I feel like my, my well-being would change in regards to that. And essentially, I would just end up coming back to, to the educational circuit. Mm-hmm. So you like the challenge for sort of growth, um, continual sort of development all the time and learning new things i think it's a self-drive to just um um maybe maybe some people call it a winning attitude i don't know like the idea that that uh every time i i i produce a piece of research and i publish it i, I see that is is like it's like like winning a medal like i'm, I'm adding that to my bank of things that i've done you know yeah. getting a, a career progression jump in your role so going from lecturer to senior lecturer you know getting another master's student through and you know like i, I kind of i like it's almost stepping onto the podium like when I used to yeah. swim and see that as a successful thing and and that does drive me on you know little successes in things yeah. you know um being asked to to, to add to a uh to a, a special um piece in, in a society magazine or something you know these are these are little things that you can see as like potential um things that drive you on and, and they do certainly drive me on that they, they are things that I enjoy doing and, and they sort of like they, they stem my fire to, to progress yeah, like I think um, that maybe it does come from your swimming, that kind of competitive spirit to like to win, as you say, and having a winning attitude. I like that. I've not heard that um, term before about winning attitude. I like it. So, yeah, it's good. The last question today, Lewis, um, what advice would you give someone who is thinking about a career in science? That's a really good question. I feel like uh, I could go on for like, this one forever kind of thing, but I've used it once before. I'm going to use it again because I do think for me now that's something that I, I do like to kind of stick to. I, I kind of say now to a number of my students, be willing to to stop Look back at what you've achieved before being overcritical about where you're going. Hmm. And I think that's very important for them to do that. I think some people can be stuck on, uh, again, maybe it's because I continuously drive to essentially win, win an attitude, Mm -hmm. that sometimes when you then something doesn't work or you don't achieve something, sometimes it's worth actually re-looking at things, think about what you've done, leveling yourself again before before moving on to, to, to the next goal or, or, the, or the next strategy that you're going to go for. Okay, brilliant. So yeah, I think um, some really good points that you've raised throughout the podcast today, and that is that one, you know, don't just keep sort of pushing, 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 give yourself time to reflect and think, right, what am I actually trying to achieve here? It's the same in business as well, I have to say, you know, you're on that hamster wheel going round and round and round, and sometimes you need to just jump off and think, what, what am I doing? Where am I going with this? So yeah, taking time out to reflect is, is good. Okay, is there anything else that you'd like to add or anything that we haven't covered today that you wanted to speak about or do you think we've covered everything? Yeah, probably. I mean, like I said, I, I, I do like to talk. Everyone who knows me knows that I tend to like talk and I think sometimes it needs like, so like, like an electrode on me that sort of buzzes me to kind of realise that I've probably overspoke for a period of time and I, sh- I should really stop. But, uh, That's <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of them ones, isn't it? 
that's why I knew you'd be good for the podcast. <laughs> anyway, yeah, well, um, thank you very much for your time today, Lewis. It's been brilliant talking to you. There's just so much in there for students to um, to take away and that we really, you know, lots of insights for them to think about um, with their career progression. So thank you very much for your time. No, thank you so much as well um, for having me. It said it's it's nice to actually, like I said, reflect, look back on on what you've done, and, and potentially find the things in it that could someone else could could jump on. Because again, it's that thing. If you've, if sometimes some people could be stuck in a rut, mm-hmm. and actually being able to see that maybe someone else who's got somewhere, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't as easy as, as maybe people perceive it to be. You know, I I don't like to necessarily drop in complete social media ones so I won't say the name but people can get very stuck on looking at the way in which someone maybe has got something and, and they forget that actually it, it takes it's, it's challenging for everyone to rise to the top and a challenge for everyone to get a certain job position mm-hmm. certainly if you've come through the educational process and there's not many people who, who've got to be an lecturer senior lecturer professor who certainly have not failed or have not rethought what they've done um have maybe not got something the first time they went for it um it isn't an easy road for everyone and and i think if we all appreciate that a little bit more and start to look at potentially ourselves and not necessarily judge us necessarily on other people potentially we can all start to be a bit more satisfied and, and have a better better well-being around our jobs and our social life what links that together Brilliant advice. Okay, thank you very much, Lewis. Bye for now. Bye, thank you. Thanks for listening to Opportunities in Science with me, Dr. Barry Towler, founder and CEO of science animation company Vivo Motion. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so on Apple, Google, and Spotify. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode. Bye for now.